when you build a business, whether it's a brand or a new venture, whatever it is, it is going to totally consume you. And if there's even the tiniest bit of doubt in your mind, then run for the hills because your voice has to be telling you, there is no way that I can't not do this. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is known for her passion and expertise in natural health and well-being. She is a best-selling author and entrepreneur and a respected voice in the wellness industry. Her well-being podcast is now into its eighth series. She is an ambassador and an advocate of the Sustainable Food Trust, the Prince's Trust, the Centre for Social Justice, and many, many more. Not only that, she is also a mother to five children. Wow. Welcome to the show, Liz Earle. Hello, Adrian. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to recording with you, Liz. There is so much to talk about. And to be honest, on this show, I often talk to people from different industries about a variety of different topics, but something that often comes up is being multifaceted, being able to create and do lots of different things and wear different hats. But essentially, all of the things that we do and create are often aligned by a shared purpose or a shared goal. So that might be, you know, whether it's starting a business or writing books or doing a podcast. And for you, as I mentioned, your passion is health and well-being. So I'd love to start the show off by asking you, where did that initial passion for well-being come from? Oh, gosh, it's I suppose it was innate in that I had various health issues when I was young. I had very bad eczema, so I was always looking for the right things for my skin. And I kind of fell into writing about health and well-being back in the day. So my first job was as a junior on a women's magazine probably 35 years ago. And this was really back when magazine writers were either fashion editors, it was full of knitting patterns and and cake recipes. And, you know, there was maybe a doctor, but there certainly wasn't anybody writing about nutrition or complementary medicine or any of these amazing things that we write about now. So I joined the magazine as just a junior. And because I was the new kid, uh, they had nobody to write these sort of pages. And they said, well, you can, you know, you're the new girl, you can go and talk to these weird nutritionist type people because we don't have anybody else who's going to do it. And I just became completely fascinated. And I think when I realized that I could affect the way I felt and looked with my skin, particularly through making dietary changes, you know, things like essential fatty acids in the diet or doing different um, techniques, trying different therapies, then it just became an absolute passion. And it's something that I've continued to do ever since. Right. And hearing that, you know, as you said back then, how many 35 years ago, you know, the things that you were writing about, the things that you talk about even today, I guess then, you know, this was pioneering stuff. And was what people what was the response like then? Did people want to hear about, you know, the, the lifestyle changes, the things that they could trial and do that were, I guess, a little bit unconventional then? I think, to be honest, there was a lot of scepticism. Um, and I had to kind of buck against the trend. The very first book I wrote was about 30 years ago, and it was called Vital Oils, and it was all about the importance of fat and oil in the diet, because I realized that if you take fat and oil out of your diet, then the first thing that happens is your skin falls apart, so that's no good for someone with eczema, for example, Mm -hmm. but also fundamentally, we know that it's really bad for brain health and for, you know, what's going on inside the body, and of course, we know that now and people are really coming back to eating high fat diets and we know that sugar is the baddie 
But, you know, back then I was really kind of going out on a limb. And I, I remember, you know, almost getting sued by a, a well-known low-fat margarine company uh, who should remain nameless, you know, for <laughs> daring to suggest that, that trans fats could potentially be hazardous to our health. And now, of course, we know that they very much are and they've been taken out of most processed foods. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the industry now and the, the kind of the knowledge, I guess, that is shared amongst consumers, I feel like people are so much more empowered with knowledge to be able to make informed decisions and choices that I guess the expectation from has changed from everything, from what we eat to the products that we put on our skin to every every industry, I think, is having to really look at what people want now, which is to take better care of themselves, both physically and mentally. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think I feel very fortunate in that 35 years on, I've sort of reinvented my career, if you like, talking about wellness and well-being. But I've always been doing that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a new a newcomer to the table here. I've, I've got a kind of a big back catalogue of, of things, which I think perhaps give me a sense of perspective and balance. I'm not really into fads and um, and passing phases. I, I prefer to be much more middle ground and steer the, the middle course across amongst everything and really see evidence-based my all my writing and, and research is always evidence-based it has to be because I grew up back in the day before Google you know before uh, we had internet before we had email even mm. and you know my children now they look at me and they say how did you write a book without without <laughs> the internet and I say well you know what I used to go to this thing called a library and we used to have books and we would sit and we would go through. I mean, I used to go to the British Library, which I still love, it's an amazing place. And you can call up all the research papers and the references. And then I'd go and talk to the academics, I'd actually go and talk to the researchers. And what I, that I really learned from that is that very often I'd, I'd see something maybe in a newspaper, I'd get an idea, I'd, I'd ring up the researcher and say, you know, can I come and talk to you about this study because it looks really interesting. And by the time you talk to that researcher and you say, oh, I saw that it was reported that this happened. And they said, well, no, actually, that was misreported. What we really found was this. So it was a really good lesson that I now tell my young magazine writers, you know, you must go back to the source always because, I mean, I had a big issue with a big national paper just a few weeks ago where they, they falsely reported on a study on HRT and the safety of oestrogen. And they totally misrepresented the data. And I went back to the author. I invited the author, the lead researcher, onto my podcast. We talked about it. And I said, you need to go back to the newspaper and, and get them to change the story. And they did. So, you know, it, it's really important always to, to know your references. And I think with online, it's, it's so easy, isn't it, just to put something out there that's unsubstantiated. That's why I love print so much, because once you've committed it to paper, you can't change it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was just going to ask you actually how, you know, looking back and reflecting and hearing that, you know, the, the effort and the research and how different to have to go and do that, that time intensive work versus now where I think people can potentially just do a quick Google, look on Wikipedia, maybe yeah. even go to Twitter where people seem to get a lot of their source mm -hmm. and information and then kind of go, okay, I've got the facts. Let me put something together. And so, you know, I often talk about how the internet has actually democratized information and how it's brilliant. You know, we can access all of these things, but do you think there's also, I guess, a flip side to that, which is how do we validate sources? And also how do we, how do we figure out the noise? Really, really, uh, really difficult. And I think, you know, this is something that needs to be taught. I you know, would hope to all students is, is the power of discernment. And I think, I think there are lots of different things at play there. I mean, I think when you look at Twitter and Facebook and all the social media giants, they are already selectively editing what bits of the news we see. And I think that is quite a dangerous step because we're already getting filtered information. So I think we need to be really wary of that. I think always go back to the source where you can. I really trust the printed word because, you know, you know, Adrian, you're an author. When you submit a manuscript, one of the first things that your publisher will do is they'll run it by legal. So mm -hmm. the last thing they want to do is get sued. So, you know, you have to be really sure that, you know, every word in that book that's written, when it gets printed onto the, the printed page, you can stand up to it. You know, you can you could stand up in a court of law if you had to and defend your position. When you put something online, if somebody comes along and says, oh, that's not right, you go, oh, sorry about that. I'll just pop on and change it. 
Mm. And then it's changed. And so I think in this speeded up world where there's rolling news 24-7, everybody's so fast. A lot of the big publications are downsizing. They might have had 35 people in their UK newsrooms. Now they're down to five. You know, the, But the pressure is on to be the first with the story. And being the first often doesn't make you the most accurate. And I think we do need a bit of time. That's why I always love magazines and books because they take time they take time to produce and, and there is more I think there's more factual information potentially that can be gleaned not always I think it's important to know who to follow and, and mm. build up your own set of trusted resources yeah absolutely and I'd love to talk to you I, from a business perspective as well for any women listening to the show who are entrepreneurial and I know there are many of them you were an entrepreneur long before the term entrepreneur was this <laughs> aspiration you know before it was this aspirational I never knew I was one you know until the term was invented and then it was like oh yeah that's that's what I am <laughs> exactly and I think in 2020 everyone either wants to be an entrepreneur or they're being told that they should aspire to be one but mm. what's the reality you know from your perspective you know it's not all it's not easy I know I know I would say that it's not easy and for anyone listening who does have that that I guess entrepreneurial streak in them or that desire what would you say to them about starting something today well I think you've touched on two really important points one is there has to be that desire and that streak that has to be part of your makeup that you are driven to do it but I also think in a way it's not a choice because when you build a business, whether it's a brand or a new venture, whatever it is, it is going to totally consume you. You know, you are going to have to live and breathe it 24-7. It's got to be the thing that you are so passionate about that, you know, you're getting up at three in the morning, you know, to catch that plane, you know, hopefully in the future. Uh, or you're getting up to meet that deadline or, you know, you're, you're having to put all your life savings into a venture because you so passionately believe that it's going to work and it's useful and it's valuable and, it, and it's worth doing. Unless you feel like that, please don't do it. Because you you have to be, if, if you're not passionate about it, believe me, nobody else will be. You know, you have to lead from the front with this. You have to believe that it's absolutely rock solid, the right thing to do. And if there's even the tiniest bit of doubt in your mind that you're thinking, well, do you know, I quite like to do this. If that's your inner voice, then run for the hills because your voice has to be telling you, there is no way that I can't not do this. This is absolutely what's what's driving me. You know, this is in my DNA. I, I will not rest until I've completed this task and, and my vision. Mm, and you have to have that. You have to fight for it sometimes too, right? Because I know that with certain things that I've wanted to do at the start before it's, you know, before, when it's just a concept before you've even created it, sometimes you have to go out and you have to convince others and pitch to them and kind of get them on board with your idea to support or to to back it. And, and actually, if you, as you said, if you're not willing to fight for it, if you're kind of lukewarm, then I think, yeah, entrepreneurship, I just see it at the moment being put on this pedestal of everyone saying, you know, go out and create your own thing, build your own product or service, start a podcast, write a book, do these things, which you know, and it's it's great if people do want to do those things, then of course, you know, I certainly, that was something that for me, as you described, it was, it was just a non-negotiable, really. It was like, there was no way, you know, this, I live and I breathe it, but I do think it's kind of being sold to people now as something that everyone should just kind of give it a go when the reality is it's, yeah, maybe not for everyone. No. And I think that give it a go is, is actually the, the wrong approach. Um, because when it doesn't work, it, it can be absolutely devastating in so many ways. I mean, you know, you, not only financially, which can be really life changing, but also for your self-esteem and it can you know, waste time. It can knock your confidence. That's not to say that actually giving it a go in terms of getting some experience is really good. You know, if, if you know, starting out, if you can learn on the job, if you can make your mistakes and, and do something, you know, while you're learning from others and find people around you who will mentor you and don't be in too much of a hurry. You know, everything is so super speeded up. You know, I've been in this world working now for, you know, 35 plus years and I consider myself only really kind of you know, not even halfway through, you know, this is this is still relatively the new bit of my journey, I think. And so there is plenty of time and you've got to build it slow to build it strong. You know, it's like, where do you build your house? You know, you need to build it on really firm, solid foundations, rock solid. 
And you need to take time to do your research. You know, whatever it is that you're working in, whether you're working, whether you're perhaps building a food brand or a beauty brand or, you know, whatever it is, you need to know your subject 1,010%. It's not enough to have, you know, read a few snippets on online. You need to have lived and breathed it and learned it, know it inside out, upside down, back to front, and, and you know, three times that. You've got to know more about it than anybody else could possibly know. Because that's the way that you get trust and authenticity, and that's what drives brands for the future. I think the, the future is really exciting for founder-led brands, providing they come from the right starting point. Mm, oh my gosh, so many things that you said then. I was thinking this is so refreshing to hear because if I'm honest, I often hear the opposite around, you know, I think because of things like the 30 under 30 list and these things about <laughs> achieving so much so soon. And if you haven't done it, you know, people think if they haven't achieved a certain amount of status or or whatever their goal by the time they're 30 or 35 or 40 then it's like well you know they don't think that they can start something new or that they can take the years the knowledge the experience the expertise everything that you've just described and actually create something and put that direct it towards something because they never have before or it's too late and actually mm -hmm. if you were to start something today you know in 2020 given what you said as well about mistakes and failures and lessons learned along the way if you were starting something today brand new from scratch clean slate would you approach it in the same way do you think or are the things that you would do again or do you think you'd approach it differently no, definitely. And in fact, I'm involved in a couple of new startups now for next year. So, you know, I'm always on the look for, for new ideas and, and brand development. But, you know, I've got a couple of projects I've been working on, firstly, in my head, I guess, for about 18 months to two years. And I'm going to take that to the next stage. I'm going to use 2021 as a development year. Uh, knowing that we'll probably be in the market maybe mid part of 2023, maybe, uh, because it's something that I think has got legs and I think it'll have a bit of longevity. And it's just, it's not a question about rushing it. It's about having faith that it will come good and putting the time in now because that will save huge amounts of time later trying to repair anything that was overlooked or any omissions and errors later on so you know trying to get trying to get your your new baby off to the best start it's like bringing up children you know it doesn't happen overnight the same is true with brand building wow okay well i look forward to to seeing what you do next you've already done so much and i guess bringing it back to the world of wellness it's never been more important you know our physical our mental and our emotional health is a priority it seems for everyone and i think every industry whether it's travel fashion you know food and restaurants festivals everyone's being influenced by this consumer demand for mm. wellness and health and we want more than ever to really prioritize it but on the flip side i'm sure you'd agree there's so many new products new things that you know new fads trends things that we should be listening to learning doing every single day and i think sometimes people are kind of overwhelmed with okay what's new and important and actually let me learn more about gut health or biohacking or yes. cold <laughs> therapy and then actually what things are you know maybe too much or irrelevant and it's so confusing for a lot of people that they kind of don't know where to start so if you as i said you're the expert on on, on well-being and wellness so well, what would you say we really need to focus on in terms of simplifying those those key pillars I think there's some really exciting things going on. And, and for me, there are some absolute non-negotiables. I mean, similar in a way, I think, to some of the ones that you've written about in your book, too. Um, I think it is about finding your trusted sources to start with for information and, and not spreading yourself too far and wide. But in terms of female health, first of all, we have to understand that health is wealth. You know, that is the bottom line. And, and now more than ever, we realize that. It's mm. all about supporting our immune system, supporting our mental health. We have one place to live in this world, and that's our body. It's the only place we have to live, and we need to take care of it. So how do we do that? Well, on a physical level, I started writing about gut health a few years ago, and that has become just such a dominant force for all of healthcare, every aspect mm. 
health and medicine comes back to the microbiome and the gut. And we know that we can help mental health by improving our serotonin levels, by looking after our gut and our, improving our microbial diversity, focusing on fermented foods and probiotics. We know that we can help our immune system and our energy levels and our brain power by sleeping. That's another obviously non-negotiable. So gut health, sleep, fitness, obviously key. I've become a much more of an advocate for HIT, for high intensity training, doing smaller amounts of exercise exercise that are higher intensity and doing them more often as I as I get older I'm um, in my 50s so I'm actually in better shape than I was in my 40s so I leave that as a word of encouragement to everybody who's maybe you know worried about getting older I mean if you're in your 30s you are a baby so you thinking about all this now but you know as you as you hit perimenopause and menopause then everything shifts you start to lose muscle mass you lose calcium from your bones so it's really important even in your 20s actually to be banking your calcium because we lose the ability to bank our calcium after the age of sort of 26 27 so if you're you know if you're messing around with food fads and excluding big food groups and not having a lot of calcium then you know you need to be very careful of that very mindful and then of course hormones you can't talk about female health without talking about hormones and making sure that your estrogen, especially as you go through perimenopause, which tends to be from sort of early 40s onwards. Mm. But for some communities, particularly some Asian communities, it can happen a lot earlier. It also depends genetically. If you ask your mom if she's around, you know, when she went through menopause, that would be a really good indication. One in 100 women has their menopause in their 20s and 30s, so it's not unheard of. Mm. And we know that estrogen has an enormous role to play in healthcare, and even with COVID now, we know that women who have high levels of estrogen are better protected against the extreme uh, symptoms of COVID. So I think those things, I think hormonal health, sleep, mm. gut health, and fitness would be my, my four main pillars of, of wanting to promote for, for well-being. Okay, and if we dive a little deeper then, because the gut microbiome is something that my attention was brought to that maybe maybe in the last 18 months, 24 months, and it really just resonated with so much that so much of the things I, I was reading about gut health, whether it's about yeah, the diversity through diet, but also through environment and through, you know, being in outside in nature and all of these things. And I was reading it and actually my son suffered from from eczema really quite severely as a baby. Um mm-hmm. and and so I, I did a lot of looking into that then but I really want people to understand more about this gut microbiome so if they haven't heard about it before or if they've just seen you know gut health kind of branded on a cereal or something like that yeah you know what really why is it so important that what we're what we're starting to learn now and what the kind of science is suggesting to us about how our gut microbiome underpins so much of our immune system as you mentioned what's really kind of going on and how can people improve their gut health if they've never thought about it before Well, we have trillions and trillions of gut microbes. Uh, In fact, we have more microbes in our gut than we do have cells in our body. So that that puts it into perspective. And they control everything. They literally are the powerhouse of the body. So they control how we age. They control how we sleep. They control how we use energy, how we put on weight. They control our mood, our emotion, um, whether we're susceptible to to catching diseases, literally everything. And of course, they control the gut. So anybody with any gut issues, you know, if you have bloating or IBS or gluten sensitivity, uh, leaky gut syndrome, IBS, IBD, Crohn's, you know, all of those things obviously are the obvious um, gut issues. But the gut is so much more than, than any of that. So what to do? So we need to look after our gut fundamentally and realize that these little microbes are the things that literally keep us alive. And, you know, I have my five children, three of them still at home. And I say, these are your friends. We talk about our friends inside. And I, you know, I say, have you fed your friends today? Have you given them the food that they like? How are your friends? So um, if you want to improve your microbial diversity, the first thing that you can do is you could look at taking a probiotic. So probiotic supplements contain these good microbes. So if you've ever had a course of antibiotics, for example, you will have damaged your microbes. You will have upset your friends. So you need to replenish them. So multi-strain probiotic supplements can be really helpful. 
Um, but then you can also look at getting microbes from other sources. So fermented foods contain microbes. So you might think of things like drinking kombucha made of scobies, which is like a fermented tea, or having a bit of kefir, which is like a super yogurt full of beneficial bacteria, really interesting strains of beneficial bacteria that you find in live yogurt, not the pasteurized ultra processed stuff, but the live stuff. If it says live or bio on the packet, then that's probably a good source of fermented foods. Mm. Or you can have things like kimchi or sauerkraut, sourdough bread is more easily digested um, and can often be tolerated by those who can't tolerate gluten products because it has this microbial fermentation process. So looking at improving the numbers of microbes is really helpful. And then once we've got them, it's a bit like planting things in your garden. You need to feed them and water them and look after them. And you do that really with things called prebiotics. And when I first read about prebiotics, I thought it was a spelling mistake for probiotics. <laughs> Actually, no, no, they are, they are two distinctly different things, prebiotics and probiotics. So probiotics are your microbes. Prebiotics are the things that feed your microbes. So once you've got your microbes, you need to look after them and you need to feed them the stuff that they like to eat. And they like things like resistant starch, which is very indigestible, but our gut microbes can digest it. So you get that from supplements that contain things like inulin, which is often found in probiotic supplements as a, as a food. And you find it in things like whole grains, fibrous vegetables, eating lots of plant material is really good because that feeds our gut bugs. And it, it's that constant pattern of making sure that we keep our gut microbes healthy and replenished mm. and then give them the food that they eat so they thrive and then cut down on the things that they don't like. So, for example, things like artificial sweeteners, you know, aspartame in diet drinks, mm. that's been shown to damage microbes, gut microbes. And so, you know, I, I won't have aspartame in anything in the house. I, I won't let my children eat it um, or drink it more usually. So, you know, it's being aware of the things that, that damage our microbes and things that will help them to thrive. Mm. And you can see a real difference when you start to do that really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's really empowering and encouraging, actually, is that when you think, OK, these are things I can actually have an impact and change because for anyone who does have as you mentioned some of the more obvious gut issues whether it's IBS whether it's pain discomfort bloating irritation all these things it can be so uncomfortable and so it can really dominate people's mm. people's life and so I think when they realize that okay it's not just well you just have to put up with it or you know exclusion 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 that's mm. what I hear so much is just telling people oh, cut out cut yeah. out cut out that is so the wrong message you know when I yeah. was writing I wrote a book a few years ago one of the first consumer guides actually called the good gut guide and it was all about this and when you go into any supermarket the free from aisle mm. you know free from gluten free from lactose dairy free etc because we're becoming more intolerant and more sensitive to these things but it's like hold on a minute don't accept that just sort out your gut so you can then eat anything that is, you know, eat as we're intended to eat. That's that's what we should be doing, not suddenly saying, it's like saying, okay, so I need to keep buying bandages. And you say, well, why do you keep buying bandages? Well, because I keep hitting myself with a hammer. It's like, no, no, put the hammer down, let your let your, your arm heal, and then you won't need to buy any more bandages. So it's I, that's my view when it comes to, obviously, if you're celiac, then, you know, that's that's a different thing. But that's a medical condition, which is affecting possibly around 1%, if that, of, of the population. But when you go into a supermarket, you would think that everybody is affected because everything is screaming at, you know, gluten-free, lactose-free. And it is, to be perfectly honest, a money-making opportunity by the ultra-processed food industry who are packaging up food that's often highly processed, if it doesn't contain these ingredients, it'll have to have a lot of synthetic other stuff in there to make it palatable. And they're just hooking us into that, into this thinking, well, I need to have these gluten-free biscuits because I can't eat regular ones. Well, why can't you? Why don't you sort your gut out and then you can eat what you like and save yourself a fortune and be better for it? 
Yes, and it tastes better too. And actually, one of the things about the the diversity of the gut microbiome, and I really like the way you describe, you know, planting in the garden. And actually, when I tried to explain it to my son to encourage him, you know, we're going to try all these different foods. And I was saying, we've got to get more diversity. So you're not just having, yes, you know, my son's nine and a half and he does eat fruits and vegetables. But if you're just having the same fruits and vegetables all the time, Mm. then, you know, you need to mix it up. And I was saying to him about the kind of a similar analogy, but saying, you know, like a jungle. And I actually said, right, let's try, you know, We've got to have different colors. We've got to have different shapes, different sizes. And actually by encouraging him to be like, right, this week it might be sweet corn and peppers. Next week it might be something else. I found that I then am having more of a diverse, um, you know, fridge and, and a plate as a result as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think giving these things to kids early is is really helpful. So I make sure that my kids have a little bit of kefir every day. And it's just a bit like a thin yogurt. If anybody hasn't hasn't seen it, it pretty much hit the shelves in the UK from Poland when a lot of the Polish workers were coming over here they would have a section of the supermarket which was Polish foods and you would often find it there often in Polish so it was quite hard to read and it has come over from the Caucasus that's where it started and it is teeming I mean one teaspoon of kefir can contain billions of beneficial bacteria it's it's really incredibly good stuff Mm. and I would say that's a good starting point for anybody you don't have to give anything up that's what I like about gut food is that it's about adding good stuff in. You're not having to be prescriptive and telling, lecturing people, say, oh, you must stop eating this or stop doing that. It's no, actually, what you need to do is add a bit more of the good stuff in. And it's remarkable how many people find beneficial gut health changes just by adding in a little bit of fermented food every day. Okay, I've got one more question on gut health because I'm honestly, mm-hmm. I could talk to you about this all day. So, and that is, well, there's kind of two parts to it. One is about, does it take time to to get used to, for example, if you're adding in kefir or something that you haven't had before, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, do you need to start small? I know, for example, a friend of mine who she'd had antibiotics and she was like, oh, I've been told I need to, you know, boost my gut health. So I think she bought, you know, live yogurt and this and that. And I think she maybe went a bit OTT on it because she then was like, oh my goodness, she had this upset stomach she was in the bathroom and she was like oh my gosh you know is it that you know is that a common thing should we be if we try it do we then need to think actually that shouldn't put you off if that is the case no it it certainly shouldn't put you off there is this thing called SIBO that, that you get when you first start to repopulate your microbiome And it depends on what you're starting with, because we're all very different. And if you're suddenly having this huge influx of these brand new bacteria, then yes, you can expect to have some bloating and some gas and some wind and all of that. So start start small. Literally, you could start with a teaspoon of kefir, or you could start with a single strain of probiotic and gradually build it up. You know, take it slow. These things have probably taken years, if not decades, to manifest themselves in the body and they're not going to be disappearing overnight. So gradually build up, go by your own gut, you know, literally listen to your gut. I mean, we have this great expression, don't we? Gut instinct. You know, why is that? It's because so much of, of what we think actually comes from the neurotransmitters in the brain that are in the gut that actually tell us what to do. Interestingly, mm. we used to think that we only had brain cells in the brain. We now know that we have these neurotransmitters in the gut as well that talk to the brain. So I think, you know, take it slowly and be governed by how you feel, how you're responding to things and add in a little bit of live yogurt, for example, a bit of kefir, have a little bit of kombucha to drink one evening, you know, start start small. And if you do suddenly feel bloating or just scale back a bit, but do right. persevere with it because it, it really is once you get your gut health sorted out, you feel so much better. We know that we produce 70 to 80% of our serotonin, which is our happy chemical. That's produced in the gut by our microbes. So in terms of helping us feel happier, reducing anxiety, helping us to sleep better, to be calmer, to cope with stress, that comes from feeding our gut bugs. So you know, if we look after these little friends in our tummy, then they'll look after us big time. Yeah, as I said, once I started to kind of 
dive deeper into this and to understand more about it I was like oh my goodness and yeah I guess it's kind of become become a, a real passion project for me to to learn more about I'm talking about it to so many people and so for anyone listening who wants to find out more then your your book The Good Gut Guide which was a bestseller is available I'm guessing everywhere o- online we can order that and, and yeah it's it good and I've actually got that there's a that's the hardback I've got a, a cheaper one too which is on um, this our well-being which is an e-guide and that's quite a good starting place because I just think that there's so much that we can do and it's really important to make this information accessible you know I I podcast about it a lot Mm. and and talk about it because it's such an important resource and it's not expensive and it's you know it's something that you know back in the day should have been taught in schools you know know, before you were born we used to have home economics lessons and all that kind of thing you know wouldn't it just be great if if we could teach these skills and we know that that um certain beneficial bacteria, for example, reduces aggression and reduces violent behavior. Mm. And I really, before this whole lockdown thing, bizarrely, we all kind of got locked in, but I was wanting to get a a project going in prisons because they are a very good control group for controlling what people eat because they don't have access to just popping out for a takeaway or going down the pub for something so they are you know they are prisoners unfortunately you know they are eating what they are given to eat and Mm. i wanted and they're often there's a lot of aggression and violence um obviously in in those kind of establishments as well so i wanted to do a trial where we gave prisoners you know live yogurt and kefir and just monitored and see how it calmed behavior. There've been some early studies on that, which are really remarkable. And isn't it amazing that you could, you know, almost transform society by transforming gut microbes? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, even the fact that we're now talking about it in this, you've listed so many things that it can impact. I think sometimes people ring fence it as saying, oh, gut microbes, you know, they're talking about gut health and they think it just stops with the gut, you know, the the bloating or the uncomfort. Or, But actually, as you said, everything from, energy levels to behavior, you know, behavior of your children, sleep, all of these things that, and and performance, you know, cognitive performance and also physical performance. If you're training, if you're, if you're depleted in one area, then it really is going to impact everything else. So as I said, I, yeah, dive in deeper, you know, get the, the good guide book, find out more and use yourself as, you know, as a barometer. How do you feel? Do you feel better as a, as a result of, changing your your diet so yeah really really fascinating stuff ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You mentioned then, you know, about lockdown and this year and how could we not talk about it? So I guess, well, where should I start with lockdown? You know, it's like this year, what has been the biggest things that has cha- that have changed for you in, in both work, in life? And, and are there any things that you any night you know great lessons learned and things that you'd like to continue on with after lockdown is over that's a really good question and yes to all of those mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally my business massively changed so i started a magazine and a small independent publishing company a few years ago Liz our well-being and we have a really lovely magazine it's bi-monthly um, it was being published by Hearst, so it was this, coming out of the same stable as you know the, the giants, Good Housekeeping and L and Red and you know all the Country Living, all those lovely big titles. And when lockdown happened, we just printed the I think it was the March April issue, which of course had gone into stores, and all the stores closed. So we had a time sensitive publication sitting in warehouses for months that couldn't be sold so all those copies basically had to get pulped and you know it was a massive financial hit for 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 me for my small team and we had to think long and hard about whether we could actually afford to carry on whether the business was sustainable luckily there was no real impact for the my team because the majority of my team are writers 
and so we can all write from home so that that's a good thing so everyone just left my studios and, and was home based and actually that's worked out really well for them unfortunately we had to we lost our food and travel editor because there was no travel to write about mm. and we weren't doing any food shoots because we weren't, we weren't able to um, but apart from that we were all able to carry on so I had to take a real kind of long hard look at the business and say well what can we do so we decided to actually leave Hearst which was a massive decision and go it alone so be this tiny little magazine minnow in this huge ocean and we are now subscription only. So we still publish, we still print mm. um, because people love the magazine, but it, you know, it has to be subscription only. So that's then be a, a challenge as to how do we then communicate that? Because you used to be able to see my magazine at the checkout. Or, you know, you go into Sainsbury's or Smith's or somewhere and it was there on a shelf. You know, now we mm. don't have that visibility. So we've got to work quite hard to make it visible. But then I think more fundamentally, perhaps, and I think this is something that you'll it'll resonate with you, is at the very beginning of lockdown, I've, I've always been quite shy really on, on social media personally. I mean, I know my name is sort of known and is out there, but for me, the person, Lizelle, the actual person, you know, the, <laughs> the mum and the woman and all of that, that's never really been, I've never really put that out there. But at the beginning of lockdown, I just went onto my Instagram, as I've got a personal Instagram and I just did a little live, a little hello to people to say, look, you know, we're going to get through this. It's it's going to be fine. You need to hold steady. And there are some good things that we can do. Drink your kefir and, you know, let's <laughs> positive. And the response was extraordinary. And so I went back the following day at lunchtime and I just did another little hi. And then I got these messages saying, well, you will do it again tomorrow, won't you? And, and you will do it the day after. So basically at 12.30 every day for 16 weeks, I did a live from my home. I tried to vary it. Some days I'd be in my bedroom, some days I'd be in the bathroom or the kitchen so it didn't get too boring. And built this extraordinary community. And then we extended it to Facebook and YouTube. And now there is, you know, such a wide network mainly of, of midlife women but it can be all sorts a lot of mums and daughters watch a lot of guys watch too but you know it's mainly midlife women and I have opened up much more as a person I think I've felt safer I've always been a bit wary of social media I'm still very nervous of Twitter if I'm honest but you know but, but you know Instagram tends to be a bit of a gentler place and it's really helping the business because you know then indirectly I can tell people about the magazine and say, oh, by the way, you know, actually, if you want to read something in print, then we've got a magazine as well. So it's it's been a very strange journey. And I think I'm going to continue. I now don't do every day. I've now cut it back to Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And I love it. I love sharing and, and having the positive side of social media and being able to use that as in business, as well as hopefully a helpful resource for lots more people. Yeah, and I guess you were, you, you know, I guess maybe out of necessity, you were able to adapt, you were able to change, and you were willing to do that. Because I think for some people, maybe listening, whether they're business owners or not, sometimes we get stuck in our idea of, you know, you said you hadn't used social media to share, you know, yourself no. personally. And it's this idea that, that, you know, being able to adapt and say, you know what, the world has changed. The world has changed, not just because of lockdown, but actually the world has changed and continues to do so. Yeah. So I think for those that are willing to adapt and have the courage to put things out there and to, because it does take courage, you know, putting out your ideas, your work, your yourself, your business, whatever it is. I say this a lot, especially since mm -hmm. writing my own book, because mm -hmm. I now feel it, you know, it's out in a few weeks and I now feel feel this I guess nervousness as well as the excitement yeah. to think it takes courage to put things out so yeah I think people who are listening what well, once you've got your name on something you you can mm. definitely become a target and I think sadly the same you know is more so for women I think we we do get rocks chucked at us uh and you know there are there is a lovely supportive sisterhood out there but there's also um those who are perhaps not quite so supportive and and don't encourage success and I know encouragement is, is a big part of what you do which is lovely to see I think it's it's really important to lift others as you rise and I think that's that is part of the reason why we're here you know it's not all about the glory for us it's about how do we share that and um and help you know make the world a better place always be the solution rather than part of the problem and, and I think it would be helpful if if more people saw that but you're absolutely right if somebody had said to me 
I don't know, how many months ago, Liz, you're going to be standing, you know, virtually in your pants doing a workout in, in front of your social media. I would have gone, you are absolutely flipping. That is not going to happen. And yet, you know, yes, on YouTube, there are sort of bedroom workouts, which I'm still not entirely sure about because, you know, there's no hair and makeup and there's no lovely lighting. What do the kids think? Well, they were a bit puzzled by it, but actually they, um, they I guess because they grew up with it, they've grown up with all these crazy things that I don't understand. They do this thing called Snapchat. It's like, what is that all about? Where is that picture gone? What do you mean? I've, you've sent me something, but I can't now see it. I mean, that just, I, I simply don't get it. And I don't understand reels, and I don't understand TikTok. And so, you know, I'm, so I'm definitely a, a different generation. But I think they were overall, they were, they were amused, I think, to see their mother um, embracing the new technology so much. Brilliant. Well, I'd love to talk to you, Liz, about the Power Hour. So as you know, my Power Hour, first hour of the day, cultivating some time, reclaiming some time for yourself. Now, as an entrepreneur, as a mother, as a busy now YouTube star, can you tell us a little bit about your morning routine, what time you wake up and what the first hour of your day is like? Well, I can certainly tell you what it looks like at the moment. But of course, Adrienne, in the future, I am going to be getting up that hour earlier. You have totally sold that concept to me. So I'm very grateful uh, to you for, for reclaiming my power hour. Uh, but for now, I, my alarm goes off at around quarter to seven. So I guess my power hour is going to have to start at quarter to six. And I try and do, I do actually at the moment do about 15 minutes just for me before um, getting my, my youngest up ready for school at seven. So I do a little bit of mindful meditation switch off. I try not to switch on the news first thing. I've, I've kind of deleted all my news apps. I don't find them very helpful. So I try not to have that kind of toxic influence coming in first thing. But just to sit really calmly, I pull the curtains back. I live on a farm, so I have a really lovely view. Even if it's raining, you know, it actually I can see trees and fields. And I do just try and take five or 10 minutes for some proper breathing uh, before getting ready for the day. Then I'll get my youngest up. I got my other two who are still essentially at home, but they're off at uni, so they're not around at the moment. So I then make a massive shake. So I just chuck everything into a blender. I mean, I've talked about probiotics. I put in probiotic powders, kefir, banana, protein powders, moringa extract, powdered greens, uh, vitamin E, you name it, it all gets shoved into this big blender and blended up. How does it taste? It tastes absolutely delicious. That okay, great. For me. <laughs> My young, he, he makes me add vanilla extract, so it's quite vanilla-y. Mm -hmm. And actually, I caught him out the other day because I added some vanilla-flavoured uh, kefir, which I'd found on a supermarket shelf. And he said, wow, he said, mum, what did you do with this one? This tastes really good. And I said, aha, it's got extra vanilla flavored kefir in it. And he was like, no, you caught me out. Uh, so, yeah, so I just kind of feel that when I filled him with that, you know, not quite my work is done, but almost I feel that I'm sending him off with a really good start. Yeah, he's got a good base layer in there. And then I will, I take him to the school bus and then I will um, do, most days I will try and do 20 minutes of high intensity gym so I've got a little bench and I've got some weights and I'll just do simple things I try and do 50 push-ups I do some weighted squats um, I do some uh, bicep curl you know things that will build resistance you know you oh this is music to my ears Liz music to my ears you know, I know. As, age, as you know we lose muscle mass particularly as women it's about bone density and resistance training so that's that's kind of what I try and do and then amazing Kind of the day starts and then it's, uh, I try not to eat breakfast, actually. I normally leave some shake for myself and I'll maybe have that at about 11 o'clock. So I, I tend to do intermittent fasting, not really eating until 11 earliest in the morning. And then I try and finish eating by kind of eight, nine at night. So I have that clear 12, 14 hour window to rest yeah. my gut microbes because they also love that. They love rest. They love a bit of downtime to flourish. 
Well, you're getting a gold star from, from Power <laughs> Hour for me because honestly, ticking so many of the boxes, I think the resistance training bits, particularly for women as they get older, is so, so important, but they often don't, I don't know, I kind of feel like there's there's a there's a crowd that really loves that and there's a crowd that kind of, I don't know whether it's just been in, ingrained in women for so long around this aesthetic, this ideal of, you know, they, they're always afraid that they say, oh, Adrian, am I going to get really muscly or am I going to, as if that's a bad thing, but I think maybe for some women just deconstructing that idea that aesthetic is more important than anything else at all costs and actually you know moving mobility health vitality Mm -hmm. energy strength all of these things are so so important and the reality is as well for a lot of women they're not going to start doing a little bit of resistance training and suddenly transform into you know a, a a weightlifting or bodybuilder but mm. I don't know that that does come up quite a lot but with regards to the shake I think that yeah having everything all in one my one of my good friends she does that too and she kind of says that for the rest of the day you know regardless if she's out for when we when we used to go out for meals you know she's like regardless of if you're out for lunch or if you're busy on the go or you're just picking up things she was like starting your day with that you like as you said you've got that good base it's like you're getting mm-hmm. some good stuff in every single day before everything else so yeah, yeah I think especially for, for children and for other members of the family and for older members too you know if my parents come and stay I make them drink it too you know because it, it, it's just such an easy way to, to to absorb everything and I think coming back to your point about shape you know my shape has changed it's it's, it's never too late is also a really good message so mm-hmm. you know as I say I'm in better shape in my 50s than I was in my 40s I probably weigh a bit more but I've shrunk in physical size. I am mm. I am toned. It, it's like, you know, everything is just sort of slimmed down and shaped up. And I now wear sleeveless dresses or shirts, for example, because I've got my arms are toned, whereas they were just really flabby before. And I seriously don't do that much. You know, I, I'm not a gym bunny. I'm, I'm, I've never been an athlete and I'm not, you know, nowhere near, not even 10% of your league. And yet I think you can still make a difference to how you look and more importantly, how you feel yes how you feel how you look and you look incredible so it's kind of it's a shame that this is audio podcast because people need to see you do look incredible so it's it's clearly working well thank you so much before I ask my closing question I'd love for you to just tell the listeners if they want to find out more if they want to hear and see more from you where should they go oh thank you um well Lizelle Wellbeing is my website lizellewellbeing.com and I have the Lizelle Wellbeing show which is a podcast and all the usual social media. My, my personal Instagram is Me, and that's where you'll find me leaping about in my pants in my bedroom. <laughs> Brilliant. And my closing question, which I asked every guest on the show, is all about time, and it's about cultivating more time and having an extra hour. So if I was to give you the gift of one extra hour each day, what would you use that extra hour to do? I would use it to get outside, come rain or shine, to be outside in the open air i mean ideally walking somewhere beautiful like a coastline or a forest but even you know if that wasn't possible even just pounding the streets or heading to a park and just having the time to not have anything on my to-do list nothing in my head to look up at the sky to watch the clouds to hear the birds that would be my my hour sounds great sounds great and especially going into the winter months where i think it's darker outside and we kind of spend more time indoors I think it's really important to remember that feeling of getting out as you said lifting your face up to the the sunlight or the clouds or the sky and and being outside so yeah I'm gonna take that on board myself this week and try and get outside a little bit more so thank you Liz it's been great absolutely great and yeah I've just really really enjoyed talking to you I could have talked to you for ages so thank you for being a guest on the show and thanks so much for listening everyone I hope you enjoyed the show as always let us know get in touch rate and review on iTunes all of that let us know on on social Twitter Instagram if you have enjoyed this episode have a great week bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.